This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, three students from Sabah have successfully sued their teacher who didn't turn up for class for nearly a year. Yeah, so the three students are Rusia Sadarin, Kalvina Ayungung, and no, Natasha Alicia Hamili. Okay, so those names were a challenge to me, clearly. Um, and this has been a six-year-long suit, um, Shamila, and I've been watching it, actually, uh, from a distance through Twitter. Um, they are now age 22, uh, and they were awarded some 150,000 ringgit in damages uh, to pay paid uh, by the defendants, uh, including the teacher, Mama Jainal Jamran, also the then-principal of SMK Town uh, Gusi, of uh, the school, uh, uh, as well as the Education Department, Director General, Education Minister, and the Malaysian government. So the lawsuit and attempts to highlight this issue, as you said, have been ongoing. Uh, the suit itself was filed in uh, December 2020, and it has also spawned the Theater Guru campaign, which has been working quite hard to highlight uh, not just the lawsuit and the students' efforts itself, but also the larger challenges of schools like these, which perhaps exist outside of the urban centres and often go unnoticed. And um, students' struggles when it comes to simply uh, exercising their right to education. Yeah, so, you know, when we look back at our school years, maybe there were teachers we didn't like. I, I mean, I think that's just part of the course, right? But uh, this kind of egregious uh, refusal to be professional on um, the part of the teacher, the fact that there was an ecosystem protecting the teacher, uh, and all the way up there was, uh, it seemed like a, a kind of callous disregard for the, the rights of the children involved, right? So the, these three very brave young women, I mean, when they look back at these years, right, how extraordinary it will, it will seem now that they've come through the other side and won. And in fact, actually, it's exactly those issues that the judge's verdict also talks about. So High Court Judge Leonard David Shim said that the plaintiff's team successfully proved that the teacher was frequently or wholly absent in the months leading up to the final exam in 2017. Uh, there's no evidence to show that he was on leave or involved in other school activities. Uh, Shim also said that the principal, Suid, uh, failed to take any reasonable steps to exercise disciplinary action, despite knowing of the absence. Um, um, the judge also went on to say that it was the teacher and principal's statutory duties to prepare students for their English language examination and that the principal, education department and ministry must ensure that the teacher is reasonably competent and present to teach in class. Um, judge went on to chide the teacher for leaking exam questions to students uh, so as to boost their passing rate. Um, and the judge also said that students have a constitutional right to education, which the defendants had breached. Yeah, so, you know, there are 10,000 schools in this country, and if you, you know, multiply that number by the number of teachers it might take on average to run those schools, you're looking at a huge body of people. It's a professional body. To what extent does that professional body become something that protects its own rather than that which protects their primary or at least stated objective, which is to deliver education for children, right? So I think when we explore the story, we're going to get to the heart of it by asking, you know, are children really at the center of education or are they not? 
So we will be joined shortly by Sharmila Sekran, a representative of Tiada Guru uh, in West Malaysia. Uh, but we'd like to hear from you as well. Have you been following this case? What do you make of it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Busy following money trail. BFM eighty nine point nine. It is 6.13. You're listening to uh, Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. Uh, and we are talking about a lawsuit against a teacher in Sabah brought by three students uh, for the teacher not attending class or teaching them for nearly a year. They've won that lawsuit. Um, and of course, all this uh, was spearheaded by the campaign Tiada Guru. So um, we'll be speaking very shortly with one of their representatives, but we'd like to hear from you as well. Have you been following this case? What do you make of it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Sharmila Sekran, Tiada Guru representative from West Malaysia. Sharmila, good to have you with us. So, Sharmila, take us back to when all this began. How did you first hear about this particular story, and when did Tiada Guru come into the picture? Actually, what had happened is Tiada Guru approached me um, late twenty eighteen. Um, to see if I could join the campaign and provide some level of expertise and knowledge in terms of running the campaign. Um, This happened late in 2018. What I understand is that it came on the back of a prior suit filed by a student, again against uh, teacher absenteeism. Um, And as a result, Kiaraguru, which is primarily a grassroots organisation of... um, whistleblowers, teachers who want to stand against teacher absenteeism in schools um, came together and formed this campaign and and they reached out to me and I agreed because um, as some of you may know, I also am involved as a child advocate in um, um, issues affecting all children in Malaysia through Voice of the Children, another child organization and um, advocacy group. And uh, through VOC, we realized that, you know, when, when teachers are absent, it is some, it's an abuse against the system and against a child if they're not able to um, have the full rights of education. So that's why um, we kind of uh, joined forces with the Adaguru. Now, how are you feeling about the, the victory and how is everybody else in the, in the group feeling about it? Oh, elated, uh, very happy. But, you know, I really kudos to the girls, uh, the plaintiffs who have um, stood the test of six years to bring this case to court uh, and to eventually get this resounding uh, victory for them. So really, they're such amazing uh, young women. And also to the teachers who stood by them, the few teachers who stood by them. Um, Through the trial, we heard that they approached many different teachers who shut the door on their plight. Um, But there were one or two teachers who stood by them. And, you know, kudos to those teachers too, because really this is a David Goliath fight. And um, these girls come from impoverished backgrounds. Um, It's one of the the most impoverished states or constituencies within Sabah, uh, much less the wider, the larger Malaysia, and for them to have been able to stand firm uh, for justice and what in their own words, if I can quote them, um, they really hope to see a change for the generations to come, for their, you know, the students who, who follow them uh, in, in this school as well as other students. 
Now, as a lawyer yourself, what were some of the aspects that stood out to you in the process of observing this case and the journey it's taken? One is definitely the length of time and, uh, you know, the pandemic and and courts not being operational uh, definitely didn't help. But also the length of time that the defendants took to file uh, the defence and and what the defence actually contained was actually quite shocking. But really also the fact that this was a grassroots support group. You know, we often hear about public interest litigation very much happening in Samananjong. It's very uh, Klang Valley based often. But, you know, for this to happen in Sabah, the first of its case, it's, it's unprecedented, not just for students suing a teacher and, and the, the ministry, the whole education system, but also for, for this kind of public interest litigation. You know, um, it's it's wonderful to see. I'm, I'm so honoured that they've um, uh, invited me to journey with them uh, in this journey. But really, the way they have uh, mobilised the ground, the grassroots support, the ground support, um, and actually, you know, to my colleagues, my legal colleagues who conducted this case pro bono um, through very, very difficult circumstances, um, having to guide these students who had very little knowledge of the legal system, of the court system, even the grassroots uh, people, their families, having to guide them through the system. You know, also kudos to to my colleagues who, who handled this case in Sabah uh, pro bono. Well, now that the decision has been made in favour of these three young women, what possible scenarios follow and what are you hoping to see happen? This case is not isolated. We are aware of a prior case that has been filed, but again, because of the pandemic, because of certain other circumstances, um, it has not been heard. So I'm, I'm cautious about saying too much, um, but it's one that we are tracking as well. And, and I understand that it'll be the hearing will continue next month and and i hopefully there will be a decision at the end of a, a positive decision as well hopefully at the end of the year but you know more importantly is the circumstances that enable this case to come forward a complete lack of protection for the plaintiffs as well as the whistleblowers and what we would really like to see happen is for the government the ministry of education the civil service the KSN, to take notice of what has happened, to take notice that this is not an isolated case. It is not isolated to this this kampong, uh, this area of the country or the school. It is something which is endemic in Malaysia, uh, not just in Sabah, but in peninsular Malaysia as well. Um, and to make real concrete changes. Well, I'm hoping that the government will reach out to Tiaduguru, will reach out to other organisations who are working in this kind of area um, to really um, conduct serious institutional reform within the ministry to ensure a far better education system for our students because we're doing them a grave injustice. Sabah has one of the lowest um, rates of education in the country and it's not surprising um, you know, we often talk about, oh, we, we cannot teach in English because a lot of rural-based students can't understand English. And, you know, we need to teach in BM, um, in particular STEM, you know, our science and maths and all that. You know, we, we hear stuff like this. But here is the reason why. Your English teachers are not even teaching in class. So, you know, we need to do a f- um, far more to, to enhance education in Malaysia, but 
also to protect the whistleblowers, not just within the, not just teachers, but whistleblowers within the civil service, because clearly there's something seriously wrong um, in the entire civil service system, which has allowed administrators to get away with not protecting their own teachers and, and whistleblowers within them themselves. Sharmila, as you alluded to there, um, you know, there is being uh, there is effort being made by Theodore Guru to seek engagement with federal ministers. Um, you you mentioned a few of the, the things that you'd like to see happen. Do we have any details or timelines that you'd like to put in place? Well, yesterday would be too soon, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but we really need to start working on this immediately. Um, we really hope the government reaches out you know, we have a current prime minister who was minister of education. We've had previous prime ministers who were ministers of education. Um, I really hope that the prime minister, the current minister of education, and, you know, even in Sabah and Sarawak and the states, they also have um, within the state exco, uh, um, people appointed, politicians, you know, the Aduns appointed, uh, exco members appointed uh, to the portfolio of education, I really hope they reach out to Tiada Guru um, and start engaging with us to see how these systemic changes can take place for for real lasting uh, institutional reform. Shamal, just a quick follow up uh, on this: Is there any possibility of uh, the government coming back and appealing this decision? Absolutely, and it's absolutely uh, their right. Um, but the facts will have to speak for themselves. Um, but, you know, Sharad, we know that abuse within school, the school system is systemic. Um, in this case, they had a child psychologist who talked about structural violence and what happened to these students and students like them uh, being structurally, uh, 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 consisting of structural violence. Um, we've just seen a couple of days ago um, you know, the Orang Asli students who went missing in Guamusang, I think it was the SK post Tohoi um, issue. And the, and the reason, I mean, all that is ongoing now, that Guamusang case, but the reason cited was because the students had been um, hit, uh, physically uh, abused and were fearful and therefore they they fled the school they ran away so we know and and we've we've seen in the newspapers time and time again how um teachers who violate the principles of teaching who abuse students nothing is done unless there's public outcry and when there is public outcry they just move to a different school there's nothing done to to teach or train that teacher how to handle his or her emotions. Uh, we know that teachers who have committed sexual violence against children in schools are just taken and put in um, the put back into the ministry. You know, they, they go back in, but again, nothing is done to address this. You know, all this needs to change if we if we want to create a more a, a better Malaysia, a better society for, for ourselves. Now, one thing that's been highlighted throughout this case is that schools in East Malaysia tend to be overlooked. Um, and in fact, a PBS leader has called for Sabah to have autonomy over state education, considering the federal government's failures to address the state's specific needs. Do you think this sort of autonomy is the answer? Definitely. And I have to say the voice of the children did write to um, the chief minister um, at that time um, and have written subsequently as well uh, to Sabah 
to propose that they really need to conduct um, a stakeholder engagement to find out the best way forward for Sabah. Sarawak seems to have managed to, Sarawak too had these kinds of issues, but um, from our understanding seems to have been able to address some of it through taking a certain amount of control over, over their system within the state. Definitely, I think what we need is a more enfranchised and empowered teachers, educators, as well as students, and they need more autonomy. It's not uh, whether the state has the autonomy, that may help somewhat, but really the teachers need to have a little bit more autonomy. They need to stop spending too much time in, and having to do too much paperwork and spend more time in, in teaching. And that's not their fault, that's the, the system, right? So we really need to relook at a lot of this. Um, but autonomy for a state is really important when it comes to education because it's what the state needs. So while there needs to be a certain amount of dovetailing with the, the federal um, curriculum, really um, each state needs to know and understand what it needs from its own workforce. Um, and in particular state like Sabah, which is actually so different to um, the states in Semenanjong, Sabah and Sarawak, which are very different to Semenanjong, and is so far removed from the federal administrative capital in Putrajaya, really, they, they really need to look at their curriculum and to ensure that it's tailored for their needs and their students. So I would support a certain amount of autonomy. We have just about two minutes left, Shamila. Could you... Tell us, I mean, some people think this case really is an indictment of our entire education system. What for you are the most urgent issues that need to be addressed? Absolutely. I, I think there is a large part of it, which is true, because it is indicative of the fact that these students went to the people who were supposed to protect them and support them. And those people failed from other teachers within the school to the heads of the school. This was also made known to the Ministry of, of Education, MOE, um, and no one was able to support them uh, and ensure that they were taught, whether it's by this particular teacher or by a relief teacher. So really, it is an indictment of the entire system. Sharmila, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you very much. That was Sharmila Sagrin, uh, a representative with Tiada Guru from West Malaysia. Um, and we've been talking about uh, the successful lawsuit uh, out of Sabah. Three students suing their teacher, principal, um, the education ministry even, um, as part of um, their effort to seek justice for the teacher not teaching them for nearly a year. Um, and so we've been asking you, have you been following this case? What do you make of it? You can call double seven double three two nine. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. It's 5.38. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about the uh, three students from Sabah who uh, have successfully now sued their teacher for not turning up in class uh, for nearly a year. Um, and so they've won the lawsuit. And so we've been uh, essentially talking about why it's important to ensure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again in a larger sense, what this says about our education system. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Have you been following this case? 
case, what do you make of it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note, or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have a voice note that's coming. This is from uh, Janin. I have two school-going children, one in Standard 6 and one in Form 2. Um, most days they say the teachers don't turn up. And this is in metropolitan, you know, school, government school. Uh, I don't think the headmistress is doing anything. Children, you know, teachers don't turn up. What do they do? Just play around, doodle, waste their time. It's a stark contrast to their school in Australia. They, th- there's no such thing as no teachers, or even if the relief teacher is there, they actually teach the subject. So, uh, Ministry of Education have a lot to answer for. Make sure all the teachers turn up and teach. Uh, we have too many co-curricular activities. You know, we just focus on studying and uh, teach and learn. Janine, thank you for that. Um, I, you know, I feel like I could hear the frustration in her voice. Or uh, resignation, uh, that yeah. sighing. The, I mean, teachers not turning up and not finding a way to replace that session um, is really quite shocking. And, and unfortunately, uh, even just from the messages we're getting, it seems like it happens much more than it should be. Yeah, in fact, there was a very important study that was done during the pandemic by an economist then based at uh, University of Malaya, Niaz Asadullah, uh, who in surveying kids um, found that uh, with those online classes, 23% or something of that order of teachers did not turn up for those designated classes, right? So um, it was misreported in a mainstream uh, media organization as 23% of students not turning up. This is actually the teachers not turning up. And when he went to the Ministry of Education to, uh, to, to get more information about this, the ministry said they took on trust that the schools and the teachers would deliver. Now, this seems to be a serious gap in the process because if we, we know, as we know now, and it's becoming more and more evident that this is a practice, it's a widespread practice, then surely the ministry must step in. So we have a, another voice note. This is from Johnny. Hello, BFM. I totally agree with Shamilar what she has spoken Furthermore, it seems that there are many teachers doing their psych income. For example, you know, uh, multi-level marketing, insurance, or even tuition. Even during my school days, it seems that the teachers are more interested in their tuition class than their teachers teaching in their class. Can the relevant ministry please explain on this? Is this legal for teachers? Do we have tuition class or doing any side income jobs? Thank you. Johnny, thank you for your for your messages and actually question. I mean, to be fair, I'm not against the notion of teachers um, wanting to supplement their income. However, that shouldn't come at the price of at, at the cost of their actual jobs. Um, and often, I think this is something uh, anecdotally, at least, I've heard from a number of parents that the teachers seem more invested in the income that they get outside from tuition and so on than they are from uh, school. 
Yeah, so school then becomes what? Uh, kind of a retainer fee that you, you know, it's a like universal or not so universal basic income for these individuals who think that uh, the public purse is something that you could sort of uh, blithely ignore in terms of delivery of your professional services. So, I mean, it seems that, okay, if this is well known, you've heard it, I've heard it, Shamila, then the question is, what about the NUTB? What is the union doing about it, right? Because they are also not just protecting the welfare of their members, but the NUTP surely be, must be trying to uphold standards within their own profession. So I sometimes wonder where the NUTP, once, uh, you know, a very powerful union, a union people respected because it was of teachers, where it's gone in terms of its own moral, moral compass. So um, AAA Lim says that's an excellent precedent for lazy teachers to quit the profession. Um, I, I believe in reference to the case. Nowadays, the new breed of teachers are too lazy to teach. They prefer to play on their handphones in class, as has been observed uh, as a former principal. The MOE must be serious to curb these lazy antics of teachers, plus the principals who couldn't care less if the students complain. So principals are there as the, I guess, at one level, the you know representatives of the ministry. But the ministry is is far too distant. I think an authority, right? The principals are school leaders. Uh, what happens and why does it happen that school leaders fail to lead? Don't know how to you know discipline and to uh, to rein in these bad bad practices um, or is it this a kind of an agreement system that happens within the ecosystem of the school where they all kind of like close one eye shut the other as my father would love to say and then you know it's a wink and a nudge right okay you do what you want to do I'll do what I want to do and nobody snitches on each other. Of course, the children suffer. Well, and, and that's precisely why it's so notable that this case actually names not just the absent teacher, but also the principal, also the ministry. Because I think there is a chain of accountability here that needs to be um, held to. Um, we have Madiha saying, just like in medicine, there are laws to enforce punishment for negligence. There should also be greater accountability for teachers who are not fulfilling their duty. There is a great responsibility in such professions. The government has to draw the line on what behaviour is or is not acceptable. You know, I'm watching the next step in this. I mean, if the government appeals this case, I think it'd be a really bad gesture on their part. They should not be appealing this case because it will mean they do not acknowledge that there's something deeply rotten in our education system that, you know, that impacts not just schools on the periphery of the nation, but as uh, our you know, listener just pointed out, even in metropolitan centres like Kuala Lumpur. And, um, and so if the government is sincere about dealing with this, it surely must acknowledge uh, the case, the results of the case, and then seek to uh, provide some timeline for corrective measures. So keep your thoughts coming. Um, we are talking about the case of a school in Sabah where a teacher did not attend or teach the class for nearly a year. Uh, since then, successfully sued by three of his students. Have you been following the case? What do you make of it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. 332900 Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Business-filled minds, BFM 89.9. 
It is 5.53. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been largely talking about school today um, and the education system. Um, as uh, the um, as news has just come out, that students suing their teacher in Sabah for not attending class for nearly a year, the lawsuit uh, has been successful. They've won three girls. And uh, so we've been asking you whether you've been following this. What do you make of it? Um, and we're getting plenty of thoughts. Keep them coming. You can call us. You can send us a voice note you can whatsapp us you can tweet us uh let's start with a voice note that's come in this is from arvin uh teachers not turning up for classes uh is not a an uncommon thing it used to happen back in the days when, uh when i was studying in school and uh, of course uh, if they, they didn't turn up for classes we they knew that we would go for teaching classes to uh, handle those things or, or learn those things but I never used to see this when I was in university. My lecturers always turned up for class. And I think that the jarring difference here, here is uh, lecturers get paid really well. And teachers probably aren't paid really well. So they always turn to their tuition classes where they can earn enough or earn what they think they should be earning as teachers, uh, where they have more value for their time. So it's something I guess we should also address instead of just pointing fingers that teachers are not turning up. Yes, they should turn up to work, but there is uh, some other problem here uh, why they're not enthusiastic about their job. Irvin, thank you for that. Um, you know, this issue of pay and teachers not being paid enough, um, it is something that comes up a fair amount. But we've also had guests come on who say, well, actually, by and large, what they're being paid is uh, commensurate to what's being paid in other schools in the region. Yeah, so there's, um, okay, I understand that there might be structural reasons that disincentivizes teachers from uh, being f- uh, fully present, but I, I just don't think that's an, uh, a, a good re- you know, an excuse, because if, if school is not pr- pr- uh, pr- uh, providing you with the income that you want, then leave the school. If you can't perform as a teacher, you should leave and go full-time in tuition. I, I think that would be the fairer thing rather than be on the books as a teacher but not deliver the services that you're being paid for. So we have... An anonymous listener who says, we fail to realize that as adults, teachers, supervisors, parents, anyone who's looked looked up to as a leader, we're setting a bad example. We're signaling to our younger generation that it's okay to be irresponsible. If we don't collectively change our ways, we only have ourselves to blame when the repercussions seep into all aspects of society. And that's why this uh, judgment is so powerful, because it's not just a gesture about, you know, what is right and wrong. It's actually making a number of stakeholders accountable accountable and making them pay for their negligence. We have um, a lot of people actually sharing their own uh, examples of teachers not turning up to class. Uh, Kumaran saying, I had a biology teacher who would do nothing in class but just put on transparency slides and tell us to copy paste it into notebooks. No actual teaching whatsoever. I also had a civic, civic and Kerwarganagaran teacher who wouldn't climb up the stairs to get to our class. So he, he couldn't, uh, wouldn't, I think. So he just never came to class. He really sometimes, um, even if the teacher is there, they might be useless. On the other hand, good quality teachers are bullied and overworked by the Pagatwa. So the education ministry needs divine help. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's divine help, but they certainly need to uh, work at the problem because school culture, and I think this is what Kumaran is pointing to, is also part of the problem, right? Maybe the, ultimately the solution, improving school culture, the the collegiate aspect of uh, how teachers work with each other and school leadership. This is a question I think I'd like to hear from the experts about uh, school culture. John in Denver is bringing up an interesting point, saying uh, this problem is typical of wrong people entering or being selected for the profession. I loved teaching, but my qualifications took me across the globe as a medical marketer. But my prowess seems to yet be in teaching as I receive commendation for training more than my sales. John in Denver, always lighting up my senses um, <laughs> when you read your comments. Uh, but yeah, OK. That's that seems like an interesting uh, a point you make. Well, I, I think the point actually about are we attracting the right talent into the teaching profession and are we offering uh, the sort of environment, the sort of incentives that might make the profession attractive to them is actually um, is actually a relevant one, right? Because what makes a teacher become a teacher and then just not turn up to class? Um, yeah, so uh, it could be, could it have been that they actually started off very enthusiastic and then something about the system, you know, beat them down and, you know, hollowed them out? Or was it that they never wanted to be teachers, but this was the only option they have and they were given that and then they they found themselves put into the profession that were, they were ill-suited for? I mean, there could be many different stories behind each of the teachers and their stories and how they actually conduct themselves. Keep your thoughts coming, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.